everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. You know, I still have nightmares. I don't know if you do, but I have these uh, wicked dreams about pop quizzes. Do you call them pop quizzes or pop tests? Which one? Quiz, okay, yeah, all right, all right, all right. Teacher would walk in, take out a piece of paper and a pen. Oh no, a pop quiz. And you discover very, very rapidly if you know the material or not. Am I ready? Have I assimilated it or not? We love tests. It seems like tests are everywhere these days and you've got the quintessential ACT and SAT. You've got the LSAT, the MCAT, the what's that? All sorts of, all sorts of tests. You know, when you test something, you definitely test the strength of it. If you can test it and you know the strength of it, you can trust it. We test important things like fishing line, whether it's monofilament or whether it's braid, it has a breaking strength. You know, we have pickup trucks. This is Texas, right? Half ton, quarter ton, one ton. Someone has tested that on that particular vehicle, on the frame of that car. We test. I would say marriage is a test. Guys, pretty much every day, wouldn't you? It's a test. Do you pass the test or not? Hey, singles, students, dating is definitely a test. Marriage is great though, let me say. I've been married for almost 40 years. I know you were shocked because you thought I was like 38. I got married when I was two, but marriage is wonderful, but it is a test. We're going to find out today that God even tests you and me. He tests us. God never tempts us. God tests us to make us strong. The enemy tempts us to make us do wrong. Tests. I remember back in the day, I used to watch the Brady Bunch. Come on, yeah. I don't do all of my stories for the millennials. Some of us need (laughs) stories about the Brady Bunch, Gilligan's Island, incredible television, Andy Griffith. You know what I'm saying to you? Well, I remember watching some of these shows and I would get so angry because now and then out of nowhere, you know what I'm going to do? This is a test. This is only a test of the emergency broadcasting system. Oh, no! The test would always come at a very, very difficult time. A time where I really wanted to, like, lock in to one of those amazing shows. We're always getting tested. Today, I want to tell you a couple of quick stories, just several stories about testing and trusting. Just just some simple stories. Now, this first story is going to rattle some of you a little bit. When I first heard this first story years ago, I was like, what? 
And these stories are about a father and a child. Story one, story one. I want to tell you a story about a guy named Abraham. Abraham is over in the Old Testament. Now, Fellowship Church and other people, we've been reading through the entire Bible. It's the chronological Bible. So many people tell me, Ed, I've, I've never read through the Bible. I mean, I, I, I know a little bit about the Bible. You know, I have faith in what I know, but I would love to read the Bible. So we decided to read through the Bible. So we have these chronological Bibles at all of our locations. And after this service, if you want to join us right now, join the journey. Just go to April 4th and start reading. In a year, you will have read through the Bible. So it's been very, very exciting. When we read the Bible, though, we need to understand the context of it because the Bible is, is really a simple story, yet it is super profound. The Bible has one villain, the devil, one hero, Jesus, and one message, the divine rescue. That's the Bible in a nutshell. Now, in the midst of it, you've got to understand Hebrew and Koine Greek and all sorts of things, and, and there are a lot of theological uh, concepts in there, but that is the big idea of Scripture. Well, one of the goats in the Bible, greatest of all time, <laughs> is Abraham. Anybody been watching the Final Four? Watch the Final Four? Yeah, 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 okay. National Championship is tomorrow night. Here's what I've discovered about, about these games. Major players, this is really profound, major players show up and perform under pressure. Have you noticed that? I mean, the great ones, the Bradys, the Michael Jordans, the LeBrons, people like that. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they show up. Abraham was a player, man. He, he was a franchise player, and he was a multi-billionaire. If he lived today, he would have that kind of money. Huge leader. It was almost like a Fortune 500 company traveling when he would move around. Abraham was a guy that had a miraculous thing happened to him. God established a covenant with him and God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through you, I am going to, to build a nation and ultimately the savior of the world will come from generation after generation of, of, of what you're about and who your family is. Pretty, pretty amazing thing. And so Abraham not only was a, a great guy, he also had some struggles and I love the fact that the Bible does not airbrush over its figures. That's something that I can deal with. I mean, you know, I can identify with these people aren't perfect. And the Bible uh, just, just talks about their imperfections. Can everybody? Yeah, yeah okay. Because we're all sinners. <laughs> I am too. You are as well. So Abraham was a guy of faith. Abraham really understood faith. God tests us, and he so often tests our faith. Now, when I tell you this story about Abraham, I want you to put these elements in your frontal lobe, okay? Because I'm going to come back, and they'll make sense in a second. But I'm going to put a big warning label on this first story. It'll freak some of you out. It can be hazardous to your spiritual health. Well, here's what happened in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Abraham's just living the life, you know, and... 
It says in verse one, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God said, and he replied, here I am. Now check out what God told him to do. This is totally contradictory, totally random. Take your son, your only son. Let me stop. God's talking about Isaac. Abraham was 100 years old. His wife, Sarah, was 90 years old. They had a baby. That's a miraculous birth. Guys, can you imagine? 100 years old and like, there's my bouncing baby boy. Wow. For those uh, linguistic scholars, the name Isaac means laughter. I understand that, don't you? <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe it. Isaac was born to Sarah. And you could say that Isaac was Abraham's only begotten son. Wait a minute, does that sound like John 3, 16? Just, 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 just hold on. Now, to show you how wild Abraham was, he had another wife, and, and she was his servant that his wife gave to him. They had another baby back in the day, Ishmael. When I said Hagar, that was her name, you probably think about Sammy Hagar. Wah, wah. No, not the great Sammy Hagar. I'm talking about Hagar, one of Abraham's wives. But again, it was a crazy situation back in the Old Testament. God never blessed polygamy. We know that marriage is one man, one woman, but that's what was happening in this situation. So take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Now, Isaac is the vehicle for this whole genealogy, generational thing. And then God says, go to the land of Moriah. It's kind of random. Go and sacrifice as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Whoa, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa. You, 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 mean, you, mean God, you mean God is asking? God is commanding? God is telling the goat, Abraham, to take the life of his son, the promised one? Wait a minute now, that doesn't make sense. I mean, God said, thou shalt murder in the 10 commandments, and now he's telling Abraham to murder his son? That doesn't make sense. That's, that's really weird. And, and, and you're gonna find out that God is not being contradictory. He's not being capricious or cruel. He is pointing us to something in the future. And God's never gonna ask any of us to sacrifice our kids. This is a one and done thing. This is a biblical anomaly. But Abraham, Abraham trusted God. He had faith in God. In a nanosecond, look at, look at verse three of Genesis chapter 22, boom, he, he was obeying God. He just knew that God was gonna take care of the whole situation. So verse three, the next morning, Abraham got up early. Now guys, you know why he got up early. How in the heck could he explain this to his wife, Sarah? He wanted to get out of there, man. Saddled up the donkey, got the altar ready, got his big hunting knife ready, chopped the wood, put it on the donkey, 
took a couple of his lieutenants with him, his employees, and off they went to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah. A three-day journey, 50 miles to Mount Moriah. Okay. On the third day of their journey, it's a long time, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, verse 4. And he told his guys, hey, you stay here with the donkey. Isaac and I are going to go up to Mount Moriah for the sacrifice. But, but let, me, let me read specifically what went down. Stay here with the donkey, verse 5. This is important. Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. Do you ever get further and farther mixed up? Anyway, we will worship there. I mean, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're worshiping and then you're killing it. We'll worship there and then we will come right back. So, so you see the faith of Abraham. Oh yeah, we will worship. Doesn't make sense again. And we're gonna go to Mount Moriah I'm going to sacrifice my son and we will come back. So God gave him some sort of a foreshadowing, some sort of a, I don't know, a, a providence that, that everything was going to play out. But he obeyed God and he said, you know, we're going to worship and then we will return. So they made their way up Mount Moriah. Here's Isaac, man, the guy was ripped. He was probably 18 years old. Orange Theory, CrossFitter, you know, had all this wood. And there's old Abraham, you know, with a big old knife and the stuff to, to, to make the altar. They're walking side by side. And don't you know it was ripping Abraham's heart out because he knew what, what he was supposed to do? Well, Isaac put two and two together. He connected the dots. He goes, Dad, where's the sacrifice? I mean, he's seen this deal and drill over and over. I mean, where, where's the animal? Well, Abraham's, Abraham's response was classic. Look at verse 8. Here's his answer. God will provide. Wow. That's a great answer, Abraham. I'm sure Isaac was like, Dad, that's all you've got? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. God will provide. God will provide. If your marriage is like hanging from a thread and you trust in God's ways as far as marriage, I'm telling you something, God will provide. If you're dealing with addiction and substance and you're like, where do I turn? God will provide. If you're dealing with the death of a child, like Lisa and I have been processing over the last two months and a half, God will provide. If you're wondering, what do I do with my life? You know, why am I here? God will provide. God will provide. In this story, and we're going to see what happens in this sacrifice, God didn't want Isaac. No. 
He wanted Abraham. And the, and the point that we can learn is we have to take what we love in this world and put it on the altar. What is it for you? Popularity. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's that feeling. Maybe it's your intellect. God's going to test you. And God tests us for the best. So they got to Mount Moriah on the top. And Isaac pretty much laid down on top of the altar. He allowed his father to do this. And, and after building the altar and getting it ready and putting, putting Isaac on it, he, he took his knife out of the sheath, Abraham did, and raised it over his head. And right as he was getting ready for the downstroke, an angel who was speaking on God's behalf said, stop, stop. And then the Bible says, Abraham looked and in a thorn bush, there was a sheep, a lamb caught. He took his son, are you ready for this image here? Off of the altar, took the sacrifice, the lamb, put it on the altar, sacrificed the lamb in his son's place. Then they walked down the mountain happily together. Do you know what Abraham named this mountain? God will provide. It's pronounced Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. Isn't that a cool story? I think so. That's story one. Now, story two is really quick. It's a story about a father and a child. I'm talking about our Heavenly Father and Jesus because Jesus was born. He had a miraculous birth like, like Isaac, but even more miraculous. But he, he was born in a manger and lived this perfect life. When he was 30 years old, he was getting ready to be baptized in the Jordan River. And I've had the opportunity to baptize people on trips we've taken to Israel right there in the Jordan River. And right before he was baptized, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, oh, whoa, hey, hey, there's the Lamb of God. See the foreshadowing that takes away the sins of the world. In John chapter one, verse 29, that's what was said. Jesus taught the masses. Jesus healed the sick, made the blind see. Then he was arrested for a crime he didn't commit. He was nailed to a cross. Then he was buried for three days and then burst forth with resurrection power. Now I'm sure when Jesus was arrested, the last thing his followers thought was, God will provide. I doubt they thought that. I doubt seriously when he was hanging on the cross suspended between heaven and earth that, you know, his disciples were saying, whoa, yeah, God will provide. I mean, they thought it was done. 
When they put him in a tomb, and on the third day, when the people came to visit the tomb, expecting his body to be there, and an angel was there, and the angel said, in essence, God will provide. That's the gospel. God will provide. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. Recently, Lisa and I bought some investment property, and we were at a title company closing, you know, signing all those documents. And I've seen the little stickers, you know, that lawyers and accountants will put on contracts pointing where to sign. They're kind of small. Well, for some reason, in this title company, they had massive green arrows. I mean, it was like almost as big as a contract. Well, not that big, but they were big. So I looked at those things. I'm like, wow, okay. We signed and signed and signed and signed and signed. And then the, the lady that ran the place, she was so nice. I watched her take those arrows off. And for some reason, I have major ADD. I watched her stack these arrows up in a neat little stack. I thought, wow. Then I thought, that's what the Bible is. The Bible's a bunch of green arrows pointing, 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 pointing. Jesus, there's Jesus, and no, there's Jesus, and 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 there's, and there's Jesus. One time, I was having lunch at a Mexican restaurant. I love Mexican food. Anybody? Man, if you like Mexican food, you are a great person. I can tell you right now. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I was talking to a guy about the Christian life because sometimes people ask me, you know, oh, man, what about the Bible, you know? How can you trust the Bible? Or what do you think about the world situation, Ed, you know? And he was asking me about Jesus and things of God, so we started getting into a pretty in-depth conversation. So I explained to him about what it means to become a Christian. I said, religion, I'm talking about Islam and Buddhism and Judaism, etc. Religion is spelled D-O. It's a man-made system of do's and don'ts. You've heard me say it before. I said Christianity is D-O-N-E, done. The work has been done. Because when Jesus breathed his last breath, right before it, he goes, it is finished. The work has been done. Then he rose again because death couldn't hold him down because he was the righteous, sinless Savior. And I explained that to him, and then I thought, you know what? This guy deals with a lot of contracts and stuff, so I drew up this, this little contract on a napkin. And I said, you, you, you can sign right here. I mean, it's just pretty much putting your faith in Christ. I mean, that's it. You're, you're, you're saved by grace through faith. And I was pointing, and he signed. And I said, once you sign, this cosmic transaction takes place, your sin for the savior of the world, your guilt for the son of God. Arrows pointing, but it takes faith, right? Abraham had faith. Sometimes people say this to me, Ed, I, I just don't have enough faith to become a Christian. I go, yes, you do. You might not be directing it in the right place. You got faith. We have faith in elevators, faith in airplanes, faith in chairs. We have faith, faith in masks. Every time you see someone in a mask, man, you got faith. And a lot of us have more faith in Fauci, who changes his mind about every hour than we do in the God of the universe. We even have faith in the cowboys, I do. 
They're gonna win the Super Bowl next year. Yes, sir, Dak is back and ready, I got faith. So we've got faith, but faith is a dualistic thing. It's an intellectual assent, okay? You believe something to be true, but then it's trust. You trust it, you rely on it, it's like a chair. I can look at a chair and go, intellectually, I believe it's a chair. I believe it'll hold up my 207 pound body of ripped steel, I believe it'll do it. <laughs> but I don't really have total faith, right, until I rest my body on the chair. The same is true in Jesus. You can believe, oh yeah, I believe, I accept that intellectually, yeah, the Bible's a good book and it's the word of God but you have to receive it and trust it. But go back to the opening story once again. Do you see the parallels? They both, Isaac and Jesus had the unique birth. Isaac and Abraham took the three-day journey, Jesus the three-day journey. Isaac carried the wood up Mount Moriah, Jesus, carried the wooden cross, you won't believe this, up the same mountain. Christ was crucified on Mount Moriah. Somebody slapped somebody appropriately. That's incredible. I had to say appropriately. I have to be politically correct. That was funny. Also, too, think about the thorns. Jesus wore a crown of thorns. The lamb was caught in the thorns. The lamb was a sacrifice, Jesus was a sacrifice. So everything is pointing to the person of Christ. You know, I've been studying for this message for nine weeks, 10 weeks really, because I was studying for this message when our precious daughter died. I was in our house and she was there through some different circumstances, and Lisa was out of town seeing her mom, and she was asleep just right near my office in, in really a playroom we have for the grandkids. I was studying for Abraham and Isaac because I was gonna do this message again about 10 or 11 weeks ago, and I, I wrote this down. I wrote, where's the lamb? The Lord will provide laid him on the altar on top of wood. And that's the last word I wrote until she had the seizure and went into cardiac arrest. This has definitely been the darkest and most difficult and nightmarish time in our family's life. And I thank you church so much for grieving with us in your prayers. I can't thank you enough. And it's, it's of God, because I can tell you, God is providing. Because as sad as we are, there's another track of joy that I'm, I'm telling you, I can't even explain, it's so awesome. But I wanna thank you, I'm just going to, over the next season, just preach my way through this grief. So please, bear, bear, bear with me as I do this. But, I just, have, I just have one thing to say to leave you with. God will 
provide. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for providing. And God, you're so good and so wonderful. And we just ask your provision over our lives in different areas. Relationships, struggles, questions, doubts. And hey, if you're here and you're listening or watching and you want to to direct your faith to Jesus, you can do it by simply praying this prayer. That's right, it's that simple, yet it's that profound. Just say these words after me. Just say, God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins and rise again. And right now, where I'm sitting, I turn from my sins and turn to you, Jesus. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. I know what's been done. I just receive what's been done. I give you everything I am right now and everything I'll ever become. Thank you for listening and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless.